Hi, friends. It's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. What a great topic today. The whole idea of handing down knowledge. My guest calling in at 7.30, the great Dr. Tim Charlton. And if you want to hear it, you can go to the podcast, go on the app. But a terrific discussion about handing down knowledge, a teacher to a student. It all came about because of the passing of one of my teachers, one of Dr. Charlton's teachers the great Dr. William Hamilton. What makes a great teacher great? It's when they go beyond the subject matter. They try to identify what is it about this student that I can get into their head. And certainly the passion that the teacher has for the subject. That's what the student can feel, that presence. In the world of art, I've got great sound bites of Billy Joel, the man behind this song. It's a pretty good crowd for a Saturday, and the manager. Billy gives Joel will be the first to tell you. Because he knows that it's me. He had the confidence to, see, to, to go into music professionally. He's a teacher like a in his high school. like school but you come to my class and after a while this teacher saw the passion that Billy Joel had and said to him you know what buddy you should be a professional musician you can do it you won't starve and gave him the confidence his father had left the family Billy Joel his mom and his sister He's going to work, working all through the night to help support the family. But he followed his love of music because his teacher told him, you can do it. Hakeem Olajuwon, coming from Nigeria, was a soccer goalie. Didn't play basketball till he was 15. Because he's 6'10", got a scholarship to leave Nigeria and go to Houston for college. He literally could not dunk a basketball when he was first shown a basketball, and he's 6'10". Shaquille O'Neal, same thing. He'll be the first to tell you, I was terrible. I was tall, but I was terrible. You don't become Shaq. You don't become Hakeem Olajuwon. You don't become Billy Joel without someone handing down that knowledge. Listen to Shaquille O'Neal rave about his teachings that he got from Hakeem Olajuwon. You know, every every young guy that comes up, you know, always put it in, always put it in basic karate movie format. 
You know, you got the old guy in the white beard, which is me now. You got the old guy in the white beard. Shaq Fu. Yeah, Shaq Fu. But then you got the young guy that's coming up. So in order for you to be the master, you have to beat the master. So, I mean, I always knew these Patrick Ewan and Akeem and, and Chief. I always knew these guys were 100 times better than me. But I didn't want them to know that. And then I wanted their spot. So, you know, I wanted their spot. So the five best things, I'm, I'm glad you, you have, I have to write them down. Akeem, to me, is is number one. But why couldn't you break him? Because I couldn't get into his head. I remember one time I gave him a bow, and he just laughed. <laughs> nice, nice, nice elbow, brother. And then he came out and gave me a <laughs> and, and shot a crazy fadeaway. Yeah, he gave me one of them. So the next time I, I, I came down, I dunked on him, and I looked at him in. Like, okay, good morning. He just came out. You keep. And he gave it to me again. So he was, he was my favorite. Here's Ernie Johnson asking Chris Weber, what was it about Hakeem that you all saw, learned from, that made him so special? When we were watching that video coming into the segment, uh, when they show that dream shake against David Robinson, mm. which is the one that, I mean, you guys, everybody's shaking their head and everybody goes, woo, and I mean, what do you when you see a big man with those with those kind of moves and that fluid what did you think i think about two things i think one the fact that he made that move because you thought he was going to do the jump hook because he can hit you with a basic move he has basic moves so you have to be really good basically first to add everything else and then when he hits you with the left shoulder or right turn you know we uh the playoffs are Fresh uh, rookie year, you know, you get a book of what type of moves every guy like. He go 40% over shoulder. Hakeem, it was nothing, but on this side, he may go left, he may go right. And he was the only guy ever in the NBA that was my height and a center that you had to move your feet when he in front of you. Akeem, Akeem just didn't have that that uh, the, the um, shake on the baseline. He would get you at the free throw line, give you a little step-to-step dribble, and you wouldn't know what to do as a big guy. You look in the guards you know, for help. And Akeem wasn't that big. That's all. When I saw him, I was like, okay, he's not that big. And to beat every time he's blocking shots, elbow over the rim or the jump shots, his game to me was just, it was just so versatile. His game. But to me, Hakeem exemplifies the teacher. He's both the student and the teacher. One of the greatest in the NBA. Moses passed the torch to Hakeem, and now Hakeem is is sharing some of his wisdom and his experience to Yao, and I think it's wonderful. So he, can, he can make a huge difference for little things. Doing little things can make a big difference. I think the same thing that uh, I was taught to understand from the beginning, you know, the concept to let him know, this is your territory. Actually, today is a very good lesson for me. You know, I learned my strength from Jim. I think for the... Young player, you know, not many people get this chance. And while Yao may be the current center of attention in Houston, Elijah's accomplishments have earned him a permanent spot in the fans' hearts and in the annals of NBA history. Moses Malone, a rocket teaching Hakeem, and then Hakeem teaching Yao Ming. But when you were a real student of the game, of your profession, you actually go back to the beginning, to your ancestors. And in the game of basketball, the ancestors of the big man is Wilt and Bill Russell. But Akeem did things that I don't think any other big man had ever done. And those were things that I, a conversation a couple years later, Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell, talked to him about. 
and told him that you know they were proud of the way you know he had sort of advanced the position. The dream shake at its perfection. What Akeem has left us with is dignity, and the way that he handled himself, and he became a champion, but he did it the right way. He did it the right way. In the world of sports, that's what I admire most about Hakeem Olajuwon. He did it the right way with class, just like William Hamilton, the teacher of Dr. Tim Charlton and yours truly. And just like Chuck Arnold did with the great Billy Joel. We'll get into those sound bites later. I have to tell you about what a big day in the ocean was on Monday when I surfed with my friend Ed Sayor. How great that was. And tomorrow's my birthday. My 65th birthday. I don't need a birthday cake. You know what I need? I'm going to need a blueberry glazed donut from Good Time Donuts in Ventura. But let's take some calls right now. Before we get into Billy Joel, let's go to BJ in Costa Mesa. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Good morning. Happy early birthday. Thank you, young lady. How young are you? What do you do for a living? I'm 74 years young. Wow. Uh, retired te- yeah, retired teacher. Oh, what subject? What classes? Uh, physical education, coach tennis team, badminton team. Wow. I uh, won the state championship. Yeah, it was a great experience. Where did you grow up? What your father do for a living? Well, uh, Palm Springs. Wow. I grew up, and uh, mom and dad had a clothing dress shop. In Palm Springs. And, and my dad was a baker, let me tell you. Want good donuts? <laughs> what time did he get up in the morning to go bake? 2 and 2.30. And <laughs> <laughs> People don't you know, realize. One of those, that, that, that era that never complained. Unbelievable. When I was in college, everybody said, oh, it's so hard to be a pre-med student. And it was. You had to study all these subjects, spent all night studying. But let me tell you something. Two, three in the morning when I'm walking back from the library to my room to finally get a couple hours of sleep, I would walk past the architecture school. And let me tell you, every one of those lights were on. People don't realize how hard it is to become an architect and the hours they put in. The same thing is true. Yeah, you can own a pizzeria, you can own a restaurant, you can be a big shot in the food business, but let me tell you something. Drop the mic when it comes to talking to someone who's a baker. They don't complain, and they're working harder than everybody else. They are getting up at 2 o'clock in the morning to get the oven turned on so that when the customer comes for their breakfast, that oven's been on for five hours already. That's unbelievable. Wow. You learned about work ethic from your dad, right? And mom. They work together. Good team. Wow. So what's the secret of a cinnamon bun? It's more than the cinnamon, right? Oh, I don't know about the secret of the cinnamon bun. What did he I was bake? a little girl. What did he bake? All, all donuts, cookies, cakes, oh wedding cakes. All right. What's your favorite everything. donut? Oh, well, how about a glazed buttermilk bar? Oh. Or an apple fritter. <laughs> Let me tell you, Good Time Donuts in Ventura, the, butter, the glazed buttermilk bar is, you, you take, a, I can't even let it get in the package. I won't even, I immediately put my hand in the package. You take a bite, and I swear, you got to close your eyes, you're going to heaven. It, you're right. That's the best donut that you can put in your mouth. All right, young lady, what uh, you do to yourself? How can I help you? Well, when I turned 70, I'm, I was a nationally ranked tennis player. Wow. And I turned 70 and I got a temporal arteritis, which unfortunately yep. put me down for a few months. So after that, I uh, 
lifted my little scooter and tore the rotator cuff 85%, the mm-hmm. supraspinatus and the labrum. Mm-hmm. So I just wondered, I hear you tell, don't inject, you know, right. CRP. So, and I wonder why you say that, because you know, they told me I would never play tennis again. And uh, that's a pretty hard thing to hear when you've been playing, you know, 100 years. So uh, anyway, I learned to hit a two-handed forehand, which I'm working on, but I lost strength in my shoulders uh, somewhat, being being ill and losing weight. But anyway, just wondered why do you say that, because I, I did do that protocol. <laughs> the cortisone is not going to heal the tendon. The no, cor- no, I didn't take cortisone. What did you have? I had PRP and stem cell. Right. Okay, so you got to now show me that that actually is going to heal and grow the tendon. And I'm not talking you, and I'm not talking Dr. Clapper. I'm talking the Mayo Clinic, the Hospital for Special Surgery, places that study under the microscope. Okay, these 10 people we left alone, they're the controls, and these 10 people, or 100 people, we gave a shot to. And look, we did an MRI and follow-up, and oh my God, they have their rotator cuff again. You, This is called evidence-based medicine. It isn't some guy saying, come to me and give me 5000 or $10,000 and I'll give you a shot and you're going to grow it. It has to be legitimate. You And we live in a society now where you get to say whatever you want and you can apologize later. But you can say things like, hey, here's a pill you're you're gonna live forever. They have they have the chutzpah to have places called you're not gonna age anymore. Anti aging. How how is that even possible? But people say exactly. stuff like that. So I just need to protect you. You're such a sweet, nice person, BJ. I can tell already on the phone. My job is to be the bouncer. Remember Studio Fifty Four? I'll never forget this. I was in college. I heard about this new disco. You got to go to the studio. They had this gigantic, ginormous guy, the bouncer. He was outside blocking everybody like Robbie Clapper from getting into Studio 54. Thank God I did, actually. Apparently, they put amyl nitrate in the air conditioning unit. So it was probably good that I didn't go into Studio 54. But I got to be your bouncer. I got to be your Tony Soprano to protect you from the characters that are out there. They're going to tell you stuff that has no evidence behind it. So that's my answer to you. Now, 17 different muscles attached to the shoulder blade, to the scapula. You've torn one, the supraspinatus, the guy on top that lets you lift your arm above your head. You've got other muscles, 16 other muscles that attach to the shoulder blade that you can now talk to with your best attempt to try to make them stronger and make them compensate for the torn single one, the supraspinatus. So you always want to try to avoid surgery first, physical therapy with someone who knows what they're doing. That's your first step. If you say, Dr. Clapper, I went to therapy. I'm not any better. Then I got an operation for you. And at 74, it may not be with your history of temporal arteritis to do a repair of your rotator cuff. You may need a reverse shoulder replacement. But you first want to avoid surgery with therapy. Be holistic first. But if that fails, then it's a pleasure. And I love that operation to fix people. So you got (laughs) options, but don't let them tell you monkey business, okay? That's the only thing I need to protect you from. All right, BJ. 
bunch of hooey wooey. There you go. Exactly. I don't know the right baking uh, idea, but remember, in every donut, there's a hole. And if your father had a customer come into the shop and say, I'm going to sell you not the donut, but I'm going to sell you the empty space in the center of the donut. You're not getting the donut. You're getting the empty space in the donut. Give me $10. You'd go, hey, there's nothing in the empty space. I can't believe he's selling the empty space. That's what, uh, to some extent, that's a bunch of hoo-ha, if you know what I mean. God bless you, BJ. Do me a favor. You're a total stranger to me, which is terrific. You find a total stranger today. Do something nice for them. That's how you'll be thanking me. You try to do that every day. God and bless thank you. you. Thank you. You know, Jack Lincoln said the best part of a donut was the hole. Yeah. <laughs> That's called a diet. <laughs> All right. God bless you, young lady. All right, Warriors, we'll take a break. Coming up next, I want to talk about Billy Joel and what that teacher meant to him. I'll also take your calls. The number is 877-710-ESPN. And I also want to tell you a story. A friend of mine. And what he learned from his grandfather when the wheel came off, the tire came off the wheel, the axle, in an old car. And how his grandfather taught him, handed down knowledge of what to do. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Hey, it's Mace. You know, there is no better way to start your Saturday than with Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. And don't miss Mason in Ireland back Monday at 1 on 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Soon to be a major motion picture. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Without a good hip, you ain't hopping, that's for sure. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for all the great birthday wishes. Thanks for following me on Twitter, at Dr. Robert Clapper, and Instagram. Today's topic is special because it means you need kindness in your heart to pass along knowledge, to have passion for the information, no matter what you do for a living. I'm a surgeon, so it means a lot to me to talk about surgeons who took the time to teach me and then the experience that I get from each and every patient. In the world of art, It's Billy Joel and his music teacher from high school. In the world of sports, it's Hakeem Olajuwon having Moses Malone put his arm around him and say, Son, I'm going to teach you how to be one of the best centers that ever lived. And for Hakeem to then do it to Yao Ming, it's a beautiful sight to behold. And my guest today, Dr. Tim Charlton, talking about Dr. William Hamilton and what he meant to him. I have a good friend. His name is Dave Ludwig. He's from Wisconsin. Farm country. When he was in college, he bought himself an old jalopy, an old car, an old Model T. He always wanted to. He loves fixing things. He put the engine together, and he got this old car to run. It's the summertime. It's 115 degrees in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin. But the day finally came. The engine was running. This old car, 
it was time to take it on the road. He was so proud of himself because he learned how to be a mechanic from watching his grandfather. So he's the hotshot 18-year-old freshman in college, came home and couldn't wait to take this car in 115-degree heat in Wisconsin for its inaugural trip. There's nothing around, just farmland. And there's his grandfather who passed down that knowledge of how to be a mechanic to his grandson, him. So he loads his grandfather in the car. It's 115 degrees. He gets behind the wheel, starts the engine, and he takes off on this old, old car that he's fixed up. They get about five miles from his house, nothing but farmland, farm roads, and the right front tire comes flying off into a ditch. The car goes off the road into the ditch. Now, his 90-year-old grandfather's in the passenger seat. There's no seatbelt. Nearly kills his grandfather. And it's 100-something degrees. He's five miles away from home. There's no solution to this problem. Because he didn't realize he was spending all his time fixing the engine, learning how to do the mechanics. And never in his wildest dreams did he think about that the lug nut is not attaching the tire to the wheel. So the tire came off. The car's in a ditch. It's 100 degrees. There's no water. And now he's thinking, I'm going to be responsible for the death of my grandfather because he's going to die of dehydration here in this ditch. What do I do? He's the hotshot freshman in college. So he starts pacing, walking around the car. What do I do? What do I do? How do I fix? I can't, I don't have a cell phone at, at this time. There's no cell phones. I don't know who to call. I'm miles away from a gas station. By the time I get there, my grandfather will have died from dehydration. Forget about the car. I cannot believe this is going to be on my watch. What has just happened? This beautiful moment in my life has now just been ruined. I got to figure out how to fix this. I got. I don't have a jack. How do I? There's no spare tire. There's the tire. It fell off. How am I going to do this? And they don't make lug nuts for a 1920 Model T Ford. He's going back and forth for like 15, 20 minutes. And every time he walks past the car, his grandfather says, Dave, I, I can tell you what to do. Come on, Grandma, you're 90 years old. You don't know anything anymore. You can't give me any more information. You're old. I'm the smart college student. And he paces back and forth. I got to figure this out. I got to figure this out. There's no other lug, note, lug nuts. There's no spare tire. How am I going to do this? And he walks past the car again. Dave, Dave, his grandfather says, I have, I have an idea for how to solve this problem. He keeps ignoring the grandfather until at one point he's so frustrated. Now he's angry. Stop it. You're an old man. You can't tell me what to do. And then his grandfather proceeds to tell him, Dave, take the wrench and take off because you're missing the four lug nuts for that one right front tire, right? 
He's, yes, yeah, okay, great. Thanks for stating the obvious, Captain Obvious. And he feels bad that he's disrespecting his grandfather. But he finally lets the grandpa speak because he has no idea what to do. And it's getting hotter and hotter. And the grandfather says, Dave, why don't you take the wrench and take one lug nut from each of the other three tires? Then you'll have three lug nuts to put on the right front tire. Now every tire, you don't need four, you can do three, and we can get home. And he looked at his grandfather and said, Oh my God, how dare I not listen to him to begin with? Yeah, the handing down of knowledge is what makes the world go around. It makes for a better place. You need to be open to learning. Just like Dr. Charlton says, nobody gets smarter by doing the talking. You only get smarter by doing the listening. So he took a lug nut off of each of the three tires, put the tire back on the wheel, three brand new lug nuts available, and drove home and got to tell that story all these years later. It's important to have that knowledge handed down, but there's a right way or wrong way to do it. Coming up next, I want to play the soundbite of Billy Joel at Hicksville High School two years ago. He's 71 years old, coming back to his high school to thank the 90-year-old music teacher that believed in him, that told him you could do it. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Hey, it's Sedano. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday than when my guy, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m., Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Roberto Clapperio, a fish tacologist. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I know the ins and outs of a fish taco. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Why is Wilbur playing so much Billy Joel? Because his story is inspiring to me. Grew up in a broken home. His dad left, leaving his mom and his sister. And while he's in high school, he's got to help support the family. The last thing he wants to do is be in math class at high school. The only thing that is giving him joy in life is music. But no one's really stepping out of their way to train him. But his music teacher in high school recognizes what's going on and comes to the rescue. And he ultimately becomes one of the greatest pop stars of all time in the music business. So two years ago, when his high school, which, by the way, he did not graduate with his class from, 
he dropped out. He wrote some essays 30 years later, and they actually gave him his diploma, but he did not graduate with his class. He dropped out of high school. But when they got word to him that that music teacher who took him on, who made him believe in himself, Chuck Arnold, was having the auditorium in the high school named after him, Chuck Arnold, not Billy Joel. Billy Joel came back to Hicksville High School. He didn't want to miss it. Listen to this. Good evening. This is very cool. It's for the the coolest teacher there ever was. Uh, I first met Chuck Arnold uh, when I was here at Hicksville High School cutting class. Uh, There was a nice Baldwin grand piano that I loved to play because the piano I had at home was a piece of junk. And um, I would cut class and play the piano. And from time to time, uh, one of the staff or a janitor would pop in and say, uh, are you supposed to be here? I said, yes, yes, I'm, I'm here to rehearse this piece that I've learned. And I'm just going at it, and I just feel like there's a shadow standing over me. Yeah. And... It's Chuck Arnold. He's looking at me and he's going, you don't really know that piece, do you? (laughs) So I said, no, I don't. Uh, Where are you supposed to be? Because I was cutting class, obviously. And I was in some math thing. I don't remember what it was. It was uh, geometry, trigonometry, colonoscopy, lobotomy. One of those classes, and, and uh, I said, but I, I, I don't like the class, and I'm not going to go. So he goes, okay, I understand, but I want you to, uh, to do something for me. I said, I said, what? But I want you to do something for me. Please don't report me to the principal. For, you know, I'm obviously cutting a class. And I, then I explained the whole rigmarole, lobotomy, geometry. He goes, yeah, okay, I, I get it. Uh, but I want you to join my music history class. Mm. So I went, deal. Okay, great. What happened at that moment? An angel came in the room and saved him from just becoming a loser. That power of the teacher to adopt him at that point and to do it in an unconventional fashion. Uh, and I joined the, his music history class, and it was really the best class that I'd ever had. It really was. Um, one of the first things we did was we took a field trip to the Cloisters on uh, Upper Manhattan and Fort Tryon Park, and I discovered a part of New York City I never knew anything about, and it was, it was wonderful. It was like going to Europe. It was, it was fantastic, and it's, it's, I still go there from time to time. I, bring whatever wife I'm with at the time. The Cloisters are on the upper tip of Manhattan, which, by the way, is near where the Columbia University Boathouse is, which is where I rode on the crew team in college at Columbia. That's where it is. And there's a park, a public park there called Inwood Park. I kid you not. We used to have to run five miles before we did practice for the crew team. One day I'm running in this dirt area up a hill in Inwood Park, and guess what I see? 
a wild pheasant. Okay? Manhattan, with the biggest skyscrapers in the world, a wild pheasant still was running around in Manhattan. It's unbelievable. So, yeah, the cloisters in that whole area up and tip of Manhattan is amazing. Also, Chuck was a, a judge at some of these Battle of the Bands competitions. We used to have Battle of the Bands. And uh, the, the, the Battle of the Bands I was in was about like 1965, I think it was. Uh, the first uh, part of it was at um, what used to be called Salisbury Park. Now it's Eisenhower Park. And we won. We won. We looked at each other. We won. All right, we're going on to the final, which was at the New York State Pavilion at the World's Fair. Mm. So we're watching these other bands rehearsing, and there's a band that comes out, and they've got these platform stands that they're standing on playing their instruments. And we thought, that's the end of that. They're going to win. They got platforms. <laughs> we don't have any platforms. So I felt like a real smart ass, and I said, uh, don't worry, I got the teacher, or the judge, right here in my pocket. We already won, and he ain't going to let us lose. We came in second. <laughs> I want to thank Chuck for making sure my career didn't peak too early. <laughs> That's right. I don't know if uh, people know this, but uh, we were doing a recording of a song called Leningrad back in... Uh, 1989 this was, and we were in the city uh, at our recording studio, A&R Studios, and Chuck came in with the Hicksville High School Chorus and directed this incredible choral part for the recording. Um, and it's, it, you can still hear it now, it's, it's on the recording. Um, so I went to his music history class, it was a wonderful class, I, I, the best class I ever had. And I enjoyed even though I didn't go to school a lot, uh, because I'm working till 2 or 3 in the morning. Who could get up at 7 for whatever lobotomy class it was? Can you imagine 1989, all those years later, 20-plus years later, he goes back and says, Chuck Arnold, I'm, I'm Billy Joel. He goes, I know you're Billy Joel. I want you to help me with a choral arrangement for a song. It becomes a big hit for Billy Joel. But he did it. He didn't need to have him do the choral arrangement. That was his first way of saying thank you to him. And this is his second way of saying thank you to him, his teacher. And, uh, but I did try to go to music history because it wasn't just about music or history. It was about the sweep of humanity. I mean, it was so interesting to learn about the, you know, why Beethoven's music was resonated so much during the Napoleonic era. I mean, this is great stuff. Real, real humanity passing, you know, uh, through through your head and understanding why music was so important in history. Yeah, it's a music history class, but it wasn't. A, it was more than music, and wasn't about music, and it wasn't about history. It was about humanity. That's what the great teachers can do. They make it relevant. They make it more than the subject that they're teaching. I, I was given uh, an assignment uh, to to hand in before the end of the, the term. I was supposed to graduate in 67. So this is uh, the year I'm supposed to write this essay. And Chuck picked the composer for, for me to write about. It was Richard Wagner, who was never one of my faves. He was, he was pretty good. But uh, I would have liked Beethoven and Mozart. It would have been easier. But I had to listen to a lot of Wagner.
And I basically summarized uh, my opinion of Richard Wagner uh, in the essay that I handed it, which was essentially, his music is a lot better than it sounds, <laughs> which is a direct steal from Mark Twain. To listen to what Billy Joel, the student, is saying, what I take away is two things. One, Battle of the Bands. Chuck Arnold, even though he's a judge, recognized that that other band was better. It did not give his home team the championship. As Billy Joel says, I didn't peak in high school. And for his project, he could have given him Mozart or Beethoven, something easier, something more lovable to study, to write about. Richard Wagner is terrible. But his teacher, his beloved teacher, gave him the harder subject to do. And yet, he realized that's what he had to do with this wild and crazy, non-compliant student. Those are really the lessons that this teacher had for Billy Joel. I'm going to take you under my wing, but I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. I'm going to toughen you up. But here's the payoff. Listen to what Billy Joel now says about Chuck Arnold. But, he, but Chuck also said to me, um, you should really consider being a musician as a career. Now, no adult had ever said that to me in my life. Everyone who I knew would say, if you're going to be a musician, you're going to die. You're going to be a drug addict. You're going to starve. You're never going to make any money. Nobody makes it as a musician. And don't do it. And Chuck said, you should consider being a professional musician. Now, that stuck with me. And I never forget it. And I never was able to shake it off, you know. it was, it was, these are words to live by, and I did live by them. And I, I will forever be grateful to him because I, it's not like I picked music. Music picked me. I, he just made me recognize that. So I want to thank you for that. He made me recognize that. It's such a beautiful relationship of that student and the teacher in the case of Billy Joel and Chuck Arnold. Here's the song that 20 plus years later, he made in 1989, and he calls Chuck Arnold, his teacher, to help him now that he's a famous pop star. So my child and I came to this place to meet him eye to eye and face to face he made my daughter laugh then we embraced we never knew what friends we had Until we came to Leningrad Thanking his teacher in that song, Leningrad. Coming up next, I'll take your calls. The number is 877-710-ESPN. Hakeem Olajuwon, Billy Joel. I just love this topic. How appropriate the day before my birthday.
Loving it here on the Weekend Warrior Show on 710 ESPN. What's going on? It's Max. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday morning than with my friend Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. You're not going to leave me alone, are you? Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. The Grand Poobah, the Big Kahuna. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. That's the great Miley Cyrus singing Jolene, a song written by Dolly Parton. But nobody exemplifies country music that handing down, certainly in the modern age, of Miley Cyrus taking that song that made Dolly Parton famous and putting her own spin on it, literally. The energy, you can feel it in that song, but it's, it's Miley Cyrus and not Dolly Parton. Boy, the waves were big this week. I took a couple of days off, and on Monday, I was in the ocean. Big! It was so big that this one wave, a bomb of a wave, I rode in. And the wave right behind it was just as big. So you can imagine I'm out there turning towards the horizon and it looks like a three-story apartment building is now rising out of the sea. You see shadows. That's how you know the set is coming. What was a lake, flat water, now is a three-story apartment building coming right at you. Turn my board while I'm sitting on it and I start paddling. Can't see behind you, but you can feel it. You're trying to do the clock in your head. How long will it be? How long will it be? Paddling as hard as you can to try to catch that wave. And then all of a sudden, it's like being on a roller coaster when you feel that locking of that hook on the track, engaging that car you're in in the roller coaster to take you up the hill. Surfing's the same way. You're paddling, 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 and all of a sudden, hook. It's like God tapping you on the shoulder, saying, Robbie, I got you. You don't need to paddle anymore. I stood up, and this wave became vertical immediately. All I could do was turn the board sideways, because if I kept going perpendicular to the wave straight to the beach it would have been like I jumped out of a three-story window I went sideways so the edge of my board could cut into the face of the wave and it was on I'm zipping down like a Kawasaki motorcycle down the front of this wave the spray of the water in my face You want to scream, but it doesn't matter. The scream is just from excitement. You go 90 miles an hour down the front of this wave. And the best part, my friend Ed is right there witnessing it. I must have gone so fast. And finally, the wave crashes with me in it. But I made the drop. 
I pop up. And the hat that I like to wear, because I got no hair on top of my head to keep the sun from frying the top of my dome, is gone in that massive amount of water. Start paddling back out to the lineup, back out to the horizon with no hat. I see my friend Ed who caught the wave behind it. He said, Robbie, where's your hat? Come on, let's go in. Have some coffee. We've been out for two hours. I said, nope, I'm going back out. I got to find my hat. Can you imagine thinking I'm going to find my hat in the midst of all that white water? Guess what? I found my hat. It was fantastic. (laughs) What I thought was lost, I found. Surfing for me allows me to do all the stuff I love to do. Seeing patients, doing surgery, being on the radio, and all the many, many other things that I like to do. Next Saturday is going to be an amazing show. We're going to have my favorite journalist from the LA Times, Dylan Hernandez. Oh, is he in trouble? He wrote an article about Freddie Freeman questioning his loyalty to the Dodgers. Should have stayed in Atlanta. Oh, my God. People want to take his head off. But you know what? In my opinion, Dylan Hernandez is the best writer on the L.A. Times, and he's going to be our guest. And I told him already, I'm going to compare you to Howard Cosell and Muhammad Ali, the fights they used to have. But they also respected each other. And Mike Wallace interviewing Rod Serling, who created the twilight zone you got to hear that journalists taking the different approach dylan hernandez ain't writing articles to be nice and friendly and pretty he writes articles as a thinking person and i appreciate it so my guest next week will be dylan hernandez let's talk a little bit about food in today's topic where do we see the handing down of knowledge in the world of food. Well, yesterday, thanks to the great Colin Black from Johnson & Johnson, and thanks to Cedar sinai on Tuesday in my office, the best fried chicken in Los Angeles. I ate it yesterday, and I'm going to eat it again on Tuesday because the way it's made and the honey spicy sauce you get to put on it Who would imagine the sweetness of honey, the spiciness of hot sauce together on this amazing batter? It's like no other chicken you've ever eaten. My mouth is watering already. But it was started by Vincent Williams. He's the chef who gives full credit to the elders above him who taught him how to use a kettle to fry chicken. And Vincent Williams has handed this down, that knowledge, to his son, Trenton. Trenton Williams is now running the show. 50,000 chickens, is it a day, a week? I don't even know what the number is. But it's he has his own farm supplying the chicken. That's how many chickens he's serving. But it's the best fried chicken you'll have in Los Angeles, my opinion. 
It's called the Honey Kettle, and it's in Culver City. You can go on Twitter. You'll see a picture of a whole box of it that I had yesterday. Mm, was it good? <laughs> Made me go to sleep right afterwards, but not really. Such good chicken. Honey kettle fried chicken. And next week I told you is Dylan Hernandez. It's going to be a fascinating topic of how to be a journalist and go for the story that nobody else is looking at. That's a legacy that Howard Cosell did, that Rod Serling did, in trying to tell their stories. Rod Serling was living in a day, making TV shows in a day where you couldn't talk about racism and treating people who are different badly. So he gravitated as a journalist to science fiction to tell the story of racism. He made it a Martian. He figured those idiots in TV, they won't realize that what he's actually talking about is racism, except it's a Martian. It's outer space. That's why Rod Serling created the Twilight Zone, to get around the censors. Howard Cosell was Muhammad Ali's biggest fan, biggest proponent. Changing his name from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali. This is not an easy thing to do in America in the 60s. But Howard Cosell was there to show the critics that he's going to be tough on Muhammad Ali. But at the same time, putting him front and center. And that's what Dylan Hernandez is doing. He's telling us a story behind the story. And we need people like that to change the world. The lines are lit up. I can't get to all the calls. We'll have time next week. Call back. Thanks so much for joining me and Wilbert each and every Saturday. It really means a lot. And I'll keep doing it as long as you keep tuning in. So until next week, I'll see you on the radio. And I leave you with Volare. Singing and flying. That's what it means in Italian, and that's what we do every Saturday morning. Until then, have a great week.